Praise the Lord. Uh, like Pastor Hyden said, my name is Ryan Ivey. Uh, my beautiful wife, Kirsten, is serving with our kids right now. Um, and we are just honored to be here. Just a little bit about our story, our journey. A, a few years ago, I had the opportunity to come on a vision trip, uh, similarly to what Pastor Hyden's doing in India right now. And I fell in love with the city of Las Vegas. Uh, my heart broke for the brokenness here. And, and we felt like God was wanting us to be a part of what he's doing here. Uh, and so we teamed up with the North American Mission Board and your church, Walk Church, um, and realized that we have so much to learn. And Pastor Hyde and Pastor West and the whole team um, have so much that they could teach us. And so we, we came on here for, for a year to just learn and grow and, and learn as much as we can before we're sent out to plant a church and, and, and hopefully the, the mountain's edge area of Las Vegas. Because not one church can do it. We need uh, hundreds of churches in the valley. Um, and so that's what we're praying for, and we're just grateful to each and every one of you that we can be a part um, of this church for this season. Um, and we're also just excited that I get to share with you what God's put on my heart this morning. Uh, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, but we're in a series right now called 316. And uh, Pastor Hyden was, was looking, and we were talking about John 316, and we realized there's so many 316s in the Bible that are just so profitable for, for each and every one of us. So we've taken nine that we're going to do in eight weeks, and we're just walking through these and, and just allowing them to teach us and to grow us. Uh, the first week, we looked at the church that made God sick. The church that made God sick. And that's the church that we don't want to be, that church of Laodicea and, and uh, Revelation 316. And then last week, we looked at a church that we would want to be, the church that got God's attention in Malachi 3.16. And then now, this morning, uh, we're looking at another church that we want to be, and I'm titling this sermon, uh, The Church That Is Rich in the Word. The Church That Is Rich in the Word. And so we're going to be looking at that verse. We're going to read all the way through this verse, and we're going to pray, and then we're going to just um, dissect it, just go word by word um, and really dig in. So... Um, Let's start verse 16. We're going to read all the way through and then do that. It says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. God, we thank you that you've given us your word. God, that you speak most clearly through the Bible. And Lord, I pray that we would hear from you this morning. God, that you would use your word, God, that you use this time that we have together to speak to us clearly and mightily. God, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, I think it's very important that, that we never just talk about one verse apart from its context. Actually, that's one of the things that was happen, happening in the church of Colossae. Uh, there was some false teaching going on, and, and people began to get confused about what, who Jesus was, what he did, and who Jesus is. And they, uh, in turn, got confused about what it was to, to live like a Christian. And so Paul is writing this letter to address some of those issues. The first um, two chapters focus on who Jesus is. You see in verses 15 through 20 of chapter 1, um, one of the most clear pictures on, on who Jesus is, how he's the preeminent one. Um, the agent in creation, how he was before the foundation of the world, and just you get this clear picture of who Jesus is. And that, that continues throughout chapter 2. But in chapter 3, there's this hard transition. Paul in verse 1 says, if then you have been raised with Christ. So, so he makes this transition to, to now focus on um, how we as Christians are to live. 
what, what it looks like, what we're, um, we're going to begin to forsake in our lives and what we're going to begin to do. And so he, he starts that, if then you've been raised with Christ, and that's important. I'm going to reference that a couple of times. I want um, you to ingrain this. Paul's addressing all Christians. This section is not just for the spiritually elite. It's not just for pastors or deacons or uh, kids director. It's for all Christians. Each and every one of us that believe in Jesus. And so primarily this morning, I'm going to be I'm speaking uh, to Jesus followers, to Christians. And if you're here and you're just still checking things out, we're glad you're here. And we think it'll still be profitable for you as well. Um, but like Paul's addressing Christians in here, um, mostly that will, that's what I'll be doing as well. Okay, so he starts that, if then you've been raised with Christ, and he continues. He says, set your mind on things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And then he goes a little bit further in, in verse 5. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. And some of us hear that list and are like, well, oh, none of those really hit me. I'm good. But he doesn't stop there. He says, uh, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Did that hit anybody? It hit me this morning. Um, and so, so Paul is going through these things that we as Christians are now going to seek to put to death. And then he says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. And he starts this list of things that, that we as believers now put on, that we begin to do. And all these things are culminated in verse 16 and 17 of chapter 3. And that's where we're going to find ourselves. So that's just a little bit of context of what's going on, the things that Paul's addressing, and kind of the things leading up to where we see ourselves in verse 16. Um, so we're going to take it just as phrase by phrase. And that very first phrase of verse 16 says, let the word of Christ, the word of Christ. And, and I want to highlight this because I feel like that phrase can um, trip some people up. And I don't want that to happen. <clears throat> because I feel like... Uh, me growing up in the South, I'm from Mobile, Alabama, I would hear people say, I try to do my best to, to live right, to do um, everything I can, and, and just really make sure I follow the red letters. Didn't know what they was talking about at the time. But, but I've come to learn there's some Bibles um, that have the words that Jesus spoke while he was here on earth highlighted in red. And the Bible app does this. Maybe you have a Bible right now um, that does that. But I've learned that that, that can be pretty problematic and the reason is we have a tendency to, to elevate those words above the rest of Scripture, and that was never the intention. John 1.1 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That Word that John's referring to is Jesus Christ. He is the Word. And when that Word became flesh, it, it's talking about the entirety of Scripture. It's not just talking about a few red letters in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's talking about all of Scripture. We're going to learn next week in 2 Timothy 3.16 that, that all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, and instruction in righteousness. So not, not just parts of the Bible, not just what we like. All Scripture is breathed out by God. And so that when it says the Word of Christ, it's talking about the entirety of the Bible. And, and that's how we're going to use that this morning. Now, before we go any further, I want to um, let you in on a little bit about me. Um, you may have already picked up on it, or, or you might by the end of the sermon, but English is the only language I know, and I am terrible at it. I am so bad at English. My grammar is horrendous. I use me when I'm supposed to use I and was and were. I'm just bad. 
okay? I did terrible in, in school and all those things, and there's really just no hope at this point. Um, but consequently, or just uniquely, um, God gave me a passion for the Greek language, particularly grammar and Greek. I know it's so weird. Um, and so I had the, the opportunity and pleasure of studying Greek while I was in college. And our New Testament was written in Greek. So, so the very uh, Paul that, that penned this letter, it would have been in Greek. And so whenever I'm studying a small passage of Scripture, I love to go to the Greek to see um, exactly what all the, the author was meaning and, and, and just see different things. And when I was doing that with this passage, there were some really cool things that stuck out to me. Um, I know this might bore you, but it's important. It's, it's really cool. We're going to have a little Greek grammar lesson. Uh, when, I, when I was looking at this verse, there was only one imperative there's only one imperative in the whole verse. An imperative just means a command that we're supposed to follow. And I know that seems weird because, I mean, there's dwell in here. There's teaching, admonishing, singing, even thankfulness. I don't know what to do with that. All those seem like commands that we're supposed to follow. However, there's only one imperative, and that word is dwell. And the rest, you see, teaching, admonishing, and singing, all these are what we call participles. They just mean that they support the imperative. And so I say all that to say that the whole main point of this verse is that the word would dwell in you. Everything else is to support that. The point, the main point is that the word would dwell in us. So if you don't get anything else in the morning, that's all that we're going to talk about is, is how the word uh, will dwell in us. The word must dwell in us. Everything else is just ways that that's carried out. So the word must dwell in us. One of the things that really intrigues me is studying uh, cultures. And what I think about our culture today is that it's the most radically different from any other culture in history. Um, I, I really believe that. Uh, um, it's unique to see how cultures gradually change over time, but, but the culture we have today just drastically changed over the last 20 years. And a big part of that is the advances in technology have just really um, changed the way that we live and interact with one another. One of the things that, that, that's happened because of that is that we are no longer patient. We want instant gratification with everything. I was reading an article the other day um, that it said the average person, if a, if a web page doesn't load, within two seconds, the average person leaves, um, leaves that website. We're talking about we have the, all the world's information in our hand, and we can't wait longer than two seconds to access it. Because we, we want to be instantly gratified, right? I mean, five minutes is too long in a drive-thru to, to fix us a meal. And, and what happens is that uh, culture affects the Christian life. It carries over. And where, where I see this most clearly is, is I, as I hear people say this a lot, or I have interactions with people, that, that, or maybe you're even thinking that this morning, that, man, God, if you would just speak to me audibly, what exactly you wanted me to do? Man, then I would do it. I would, I would know exactly what you wanted me to do, then, and then I would do it with everything in me. I would not allow anything to stop me. There's a couple of problems with that. The first, I want to introduce you to, to two guys named Moses and Abraham. You can find them um, in the book of Genesis and Exodus. Uh, Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. He's the guy that, that rescued the Israelites from Egypt. He parted the Red Sea. Um, incredible man of God. He wrote those first five books. And Abraham, um, there's a song about him, you know, Father Abraham, I can't sing. Um, but uh, he, he's like the great, 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 great grandfather of Jesus. Uh, he, he's kind of the father of the faith. 
You can find his story in the book of Genesis. And, and both these guys are written about in the book of Hebrews in something called the Hall of Faith. So they're written about in the Bible as two of the most faithful dudes in all of history. Both these guys heard audible voices from the Lord. It wasn't vague. It was very clear. Hey, do this. And this is how I want you to do it. And both these guys messed it up drastically on separate occasions. So I'm just going to be honest with you for a second. Um, Those guys are better than me. And I would probably be willing to bet that they're better than you. And so that's a really prideful thing to say. Man, God, if you would just speak it to me through the heavens, then I would know what to do. The actual reality of that, we'd probably hear from God and be like, that's not really what I wanted. Yeah, that wasn't really God. That was an airplane or something. That that wasn't him. Right? And the second problem with that way of thinking is that we have something better than even they had. We have 66 books of the Bible that declare the the whole counsel of God. I mean, we have a a book that declares um, uh, what God loves, what God cares about, what God hates, what upsets God, what God desires for each and every one of our lives. But you know what? It's not a quick fix. You have to spend time in the Word until the Word dwells in us. But but we want that that, that quick fix, but we have something better. I mean, it's like, I hear, man, I just want to know God's will for my life. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3, it says, for this is the will of God. It declares your will in Scripture. Your sanctification. God's will for your life isn't a particular school, isn't a particular spouse. God's will for your life that trumps everything else is that you grow in your relationship with him. And that's in here. And so many other things that informs every area of our lives. And a lot of us would agree, yeah, that sounds pretty good. Maybe we even think, man, I'm doing pretty good. I, I, I probably wouldn't say I'm rich in the word or the word's not rich in me, but, but maybe I'm, I'm at a poverty level. <laughs> right? I, I come to church and, and I, I hear about the word. It's probably about the only time, but, but, but I hear it. Or maybe we even got some people that, that's middle class in the word. I come to the church, and I, and I even got a daily devotional that I do twice a week. Um, and, <laughs> some, some of y'all just got that. Yeah. Um, and I even got a verse on, on my wall. It's framed. And man, man, the word, words dwell in me just at a middle class level. And another way of saying that is, is lukewarm. What God wants for our lives it's not, not that the word would dwell in us at a poverty level or a middle class. He wants it to dwell in you richly. That means in abundance, overflowing, where, where God's so dwelling in you that it's impacting other people. Because you have more than, than you even need. It's impacting others. The word must dwell in us. And I hear you. Some, some of you are thinking, that's all good. I, I'm with you. And, man, I've started so many Bible reading plans that have lasted two days. I mean, I, I try to read the Bible, and I'm asleep before the end of the chapter. Or I could just hardly just spend more than five minutes. It's just so hard. I just don't have the attention span for it. And oftentimes that, when I have that conversation with somebody, that same individual is, is the one that watches Netflix for so long that Netflix gets concerned and checks on them. 
Hey, you doing okay? You all right? Yeah, we, we good for another six hours. Let's keep watching. Right? So it's not an attention problem. It's a taste problem. Let me explain this to you. Um, one of my favorite things in the universe is brownies. Not the edges, the center, right? The center. Some, somebody even put a brownie up here for me. Uh, it's tempting me. Uh, but, but I love brownies. They're one of my favorite things in the world. But if I've been chewing minty gum for the last hour, and I take a bite of that brownie, it's the nastiest thing I've ever put in my mouth. Because mint and chocolate should never go together. Amen? <laughs> but the reality is, nothing in the brownie changed. The brownie has been the same for, for, forever. It, it's still inherently good. I just have the taste for something else. And that's happened to us. We have so filled our lives with the taste of culture, with the things of this world, that when we taste the things of God, they don't satisfy us. He doesn't taste good to us. And that's why we can't spend more than five minutes in the Word, but yet we spend two hours every night watching TV. Because we don't have the taste for the things of God. And you know how we fix that? Robbie Galley says, um, we must get into the Word until the Word gets into us. Another way of saying that, you eat another bite of that brownie. Then you eat another bite of that brownie until you're three brownies deep and you don't even remember what gum tastes like anymore because you so have the, the taste of brownie in your mouth. Right, because the, the Bible is so good. And it's not a Bible problem that we don't have a taste for it. That's us. So we got to live out what Robbie Galley says, and we must get into the Word until the Word gets in us. John Bunyan, he says um, this. He says, read and pray. Pray and read, because a little from God is a great deal better. It's far better, much better than a lot from man. And how differently would our lives look if we really believed that? Whenever we have a problem, issue, or concern, what if we consulted the Word of God instead of looking up the latest blog post or podcast? We allow the, the, the Word to dwell in us, not the opinions of people. So that's what God desires for us, is that the Word would dwell in us richly, over in abundance, and then when, when that happens, I firmly believe when, when that happens well, um, I won't even have to t teach on point number two, but I'm going to. So the word must dwell in us. And then secondly, the word must dwell in our families. The word must dwell in our families. Uh, we see in that verse, uh, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. And what I want to point out, a lot of people will, will get tripped up on that. And saying, oh, it says teaching. I'm not a teacher. I'm not a preacher. Uh, I don't facilitate a charge group. That's not talking to me. But remember, I told you, remember chapter 3, verse 1, right? It says, if then you have been raised with Christ. Paul's addressing all believers, every single Christian. And so that teaching applies to each and every one of us that believe in Jesus. And, and I want to address parents for just a second. If you're still not believing me, I want to take you to Scripture. Deuteronomy chapter 6, it's called the Shema. And it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And the words that I command you today shall be on your heart. That's the word dwelling in you. And then, verse 7, You shall teach them diligently to your children 
and shall talk of them when you, when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. That's the word dwelling in your family. I'll tell you, we have one of the most incredible children's ministries in the world. Uh, Nina did an awesome job starting it, and, and Audrey's doing incredible. Um, and all of our volunteers, they do an awesome job. Our youth ministry with George and all those volunteers are incredible. However, it is not their primary dis- responsibility to disciple your children. It's yours. And that's not, I'm not a parent. That's not for me. That, that's from the word. And if your kids aren't a part of our children's programs, our youth programs, they need to be. But we only get them an hour and a half a week. If you undo everything that's been done for 160 hours a week, what do you think they're actually going to follow? That's how the word begins to to dwell in the family, teaching them. And some of you are thinking, man, I don't have kids. I'm off the hook. Nope. I mean, Titus 2 says, the older women teach the younger women. The Great Commission, Matthew 28, says, make disciples. Go, therefore, make disciples. That's to all believers. You know what um, it means to make a disciple? It means to teach them um, and then uh, teach them to the point where they can now teach others. I mean, that's for, for all of us. And some of you are thinking, yeah, that sounds good. I just don't know enough to teach somebody. I don't even know where to start. I, I'm not a good teacher. I, I can't teach my kids. And look. I, I want you to know that, that you don't have to know all the Greek and the Hebrew. You don't have to know all the theology of the Bible to be able to teach. You just got to know a little bit more than them. And you just say, hey, here's where I'm at. Let, let me bring you to where I am. And then you take another step. Let, let me just bring you now to where I am. Then you take another step. Let me just bring you along to where I am because I'm on this journey and I'm, I'm just growing in the Lord. And I want you to grow with me. I mean, that's what that looks like. It's not, it's not, not complex. It's just, it's just pouring in to another, teaching them. One of the ways that, that I think this happens most clearly is something called family worship. Donald Whitney, he's kind of the guru on this idea. Um, I have a quote from him that, that I want to share with you. It says, consistent father-led family worship is one of the best, steadiest, and most easily measurable ways to bring up children in the Lord's discipline and instruction. That's a powerful statement. And I also want to, want to have a little bit of a disclaimer. If you're a single mom in the room or if you're married to an unbeliever, God's grace is sufficient for you. Use every resource you have. Pour into your children. Live out Deuteronomy 6. Um, but family worship is what will impact a child's life forever. So it's not about how many uh, youth groups they go to or, or church services or camps. This is the most consistent, measurable um, developer of children. And so some of you are, are kind of confused. Maybe you've never heard that term, family worship. Uh, Donald Whitney, he, he talks about family worship as just having three elements. He says uh, singing, reading the Bible, and prayer. Just those three things. The way it looks in, in, in our house is that every night after we eat dinner together, we have a Bluetooth speaker in our kitchen, and we play a worship song, whichever one that we're feeling at the time. We play it really loud because me and my wife can't sing. I already said that. And we just sing to the Lord. And then we, we have a devotional that's just rooted mainly in Scripture that we read together. And then we have different things on each day, different categories of things that we pray for. And we 
both of those lists are shared on each other's phone. We can add or subtract from the list anytime throughout the day. And so that takes 10 to 25 minutes. And that's the way that we do it. I mean, Donald Winnie, he gives this encouragement. He just says, be brief, be regular, and be flexible. But I tell you, that will have the most impact on your children and other people in your lives. You know what's even cool? You'll have even more impact in that time. If you have been, uh, the word's been dwelling in you throughout the day, and you're saying, hey, family, I got to share, share with you what God showed me today. Man, that's huge. And that's the word dwelling in you, and now it's dwelling in your family. And so that's just teaching. And then we transition a little bit to admonishing. Admonishing. To admonish, the, the Greek word is, I'm going to share with you a little bit more Greek, nutheteo, uh, nutheteo. And it means to caution or reprove firmly. And so I want to expand this a little bit because I've never um, really met a parent that, that didn't know they were supposed to do this with their children. Right? Well, we do this well. However, um, one of the travesties of the church is that we don't do this with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Let me explain to you. Uh, There's probably people that that you know believe in Jesus that are living in sin. And that's a dangerous road to be on. But yet we hate confrontation so much, um, we're just going to let them figure it out. That's the equivalent of of seeing that same friend blindfolded about to walk out into 18 lanes of Las Vegas traffic in the rain. And Lord knows people from Las Vegas can't drive in the rain. And just be like, man, he'll figure it out. Man, somebody probably honked their horn and let them know, you know, not to do that. Uh, yeah, I mean, God's got him. God's in control. If it, no, you say stop. What are you doing? You're on the path that leads to destruction. Um, let me help you. That's what God's called us to do um, in this very verse. It says teaching and admonishing one another. Remember, this is written to a church. This happens in the context of the church family. It's one of the most hateful things that you can do to a, a believer in Christ to see them in sin and not say something, not do something. Because that's what, what God's calling us to. And you know when that happens best? Two ways. One, when the word's dwelling in us. And secondly, in the context of community. And so one of the ways that happens best here at Walk Church is in our charge groups. That's where you can um, really know someone and be fully known. Where you can be vulnerable and say, hey, I'm struggling with this. Hey, this is going on in my life. I need help. And we can help one another to be more and more like Jesus. And a lot of our church groups are starting up this week. We want you to be a part of one that interests you. You can go see Joe in the back after the service. We want you to be a part of a charge group. So that you can be involved in that teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. But then this verse, it doesn't stop there. Then it transitions again. It says, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. This part always makes me think of Psalm 100. Psalm 100 says, make a joyful noise to the Lord. All the earth, serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. What I love about this verse is that there's no suggestions in here. There's no, there's no kind of uh, little disclaimers. It doesn't say, um, if you feel like it, make a joyful noise to the Lord. It doesn't say, if they play your favorite song the way you want them to play it, with the person singing it, with the right lights, at the right time, then make a joyful noise to the Lord. You know what happens whenever we do that? 
And we make, we make worship about us. You say, man, God, I can only worship you if it's exactly how I want it. You're worshiping yourself. God is declaring that we come into his presence with singing, making a joyful noise to the Lamb. And, and for some reason, this is most problematic with men. Probably not all of you, but for some reason, uh, a lot of times men think it's uncool to, to sing. I don't, I don't know what it is. But, but let me tell you uh, one example. I was talking to, to Kirsten uh, a couple weeks ago, and she didn't know where I was going with the sermon, had, had no idea. And she just said, you know what's so cool and somewhat frustrating? She serves in our, our, our 412 kids ministry every week. And she said the only time we can get 100% participation from our kids during the, the praise and worship time is when we have a man in the room that's singing to the top of his lungs and doing all the motions. She said that's the only time. Because there's, uh, whenever you are singing and praising God, it's not just for you. It affects others. I mean, we, we, we um, lead by example in that. I mean, that's when the, when the words dwell on us, and now it's overflowing to other people. And that's huge. So some of you hearing that, and, and maybe you need to sign up, serve with our kids. Maybe you just need to, to sing out to the Lord when you come into this worship service. And praise God, because he's worthy of your praise. He's worthy of even more than that. But how dare we, we hold back any of that from him? And what's so cool is like today, this talks about singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We sang all three of those today. And praise the Lord. And then the last part says, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. With thankfulness in your hearts to God. What God doesn't want you to check a bunch of boxes on a list. He doesn't want you to, to just get in the word because you're going to impress somebody. He doesn't want you to sing out so people can hear how great you sing. God wants you to do it for him. That's why it says with thankfulness in your hearts. That's, that's internal. Saying, God, I'm not doing this for anybody else, but I'm doing this so that I could, your word can be rich in me and I have a deeper, more intimate relationship with you. That's what, what it's all about. So that's what, what happens when whenever the, the word begins to, to dwell in us. Richly, it begins to overflow into our families. You see that um, through, through, through teaching and admonishing and singing. And all that happens within the context of thankfulness. So some of us in the room this morning are, are at different places with that. Some of us are, are would consider ourselves at a poverty level in the word, or maybe even middle class. But we want to go to that next level. Well, one, of, one of the ways that we as a staff have committed um, to the word dwelling in us in 2019 is we've committed to, to together memorizing scripture. Some of us think, man, that's impossible. I, I can't memorize anything. But yet often many of the songs that we sing are just straight out of Scripture, and we remember every word. We have a, we have a tool, a resource for you on, on the back table back here that we would just love to give you. Here's just a, a few things that could help you write God's word on your heart so that you may not sin against him. And, and we want to give this to you, and we want to just encourage you this year to write God's word on your heart, to have it dwell in you richly. There's even some, some passages on the back, not just verses, but passages that you could just take one, two, three verses a week 
and just memorize these things. And it would be so fruitful and beneficial in your lives. Uh, I'm, I'm just saying that from experience. God's really blessed that uh, in my lives and every um, life of, of anybody I've ever met that, that's taken that seriously. And may, maybe some of you, or like we said earlier, at a poverty level word, and you just need to, to begin reading it, to begin uh, overpowering that distaste uh, that you have for it. Maybe you don't even have a Bible. We would love to give you a Bible this morning. But we want the word of Christ to dwell in each and every one of you richly. I'm going to pray for us here in just a second. and We're just going to give you an opportunity um, to do business with the Lord. Maybe you need to confess. Hey, God, I know I'm, I've failed you in this area. But not just confess, then repent and say, here's what I'm going to do about it. We're going to give you an opportunity to do that. Would you bow your heads with me?